everybody and welcome back to another episode of Something Dark. I had actually pre-recorded my previous episode, so it's been a couple of weeks since I've been sat down and waiting to do an episode for you, but I'm happy to be back and I hope everything is going to sound okay this week. I'm actually in a different location. There may be a little bit of echo or background noise, but we're going to go with it and see how it goes. Just before we get started and dive into tonight's case, I have had a couple of requests asking me to do like a video format of the podcast. It's definitely something I've considered, just trying to figure out the setup and the best way possible to record it and everything's going to take some time to kind of figure out the logistics, but I can definitely see myself doing that in the future. If you'd like to see the podcast in that kind of a format, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'll leave it in the show notes and let me know what you think. And with that, let's dive into tonight's case. On Monday morning of November 21st, 2016, Jill Walker woke up and walked into her daughter's room to wake her up for school. It was around 6.15am. She was usually pretty easy to wake up. Jill touched her leg, but she didn't get any response. Worried, Jill looked at her daughter's face, checking for a pulse, and she realised something was terribly wrong. She can't recall much of what happened next, but she called 911. Her 16-year-old daughter, a beautiful, vibrant, and warm-hearted cheerleader and high school student, lay unresponsive in her bed. Tonight we'll be discussing the case of Emma Walker. Emma Jane Walker was born on March 20th, 2000, in Knoxville, Tennessee, and she grew up in a small, rural town just outside of Knoxville. Her parents were Mark and Jill Walker, and they also had another child, called Evan. Emma was known to her friends and family as being a sweet and kind-hearted girl. She was dedicated to her schoolwork and knew she had to study and work hard to achieve her dream of becoming a NICU nurse. She was also really involved in competitive dance and cheerleading. At Central High School in Knoxville, Tennessee, a Friday night in autumn means a football stadium bathed in lights and two teams battling it out. On Fridays, everybody's excited at school to see how well we'll do. It's what our school revolves around, said Seth Armstrong, a recent Central High graduate who played for the team. Out in front of the crowd, the marching band and cheerleaders keep the energy high, and in the autumn of 2014, there was a new face on the cheerleading squad, a spirited 14-year-old freshman named Emma Walker. Emma really took cheerleading seriously, said Lauren Hutton. Lauren was a senior on the squad when she met Emma, and the two of them became good friends. She really loved doing it. It was one of her passions. She loved leading, and she loved football games. She loved just being part of crowd appeal. Early that autumn, Emma's moves on the sidelines caught the eye of an older student, number eight, Central High's wide receiver, Riley Gall. Raised by his mother and his grandparents, Riley was a top student and loved to play video games. Friends described him as a jokester, not the classic jock type. 
He was a little nerdy on the inside, said Zach Green, one of Emma's friends, a little to himself. From the outside looking in, you'd think he was just a normal guy. When Emma's parents first met Riley, they said their first impressions of him were positive. Emma's mother described him as the boy next door, very polite and very nice in the beginning. She said he was very likeable. Emma's father said that he looked like a nice young man and well-mannered. Emma's parents described that he would come over to their house to hang out, they would meet up after football games and go out to eat, and Emma's friends said that she seemed happy with Gaul in the beginning. Soon, the cheerleaders' social media accounts were filled with pictures of a seemingly perfect pair, paddleboarding together, embracing, and taking silly selfies. In one post, Emma wrote, Look how lucky I am. Keegan, one of Emma's best friends, said that at first the relationship just seemed kind of normal. She said that Riley didn't talk much to Emma's friends. In the beginning, they thought that he was just kind of shy, but after a while, her friends grew concerned. It became apparent to them that Riley didn't want Emma to hang out with anyone but him. Keegan said that he became controlling of her, what she did, and her activities. Emma's friend Lauren said that he got possessive of her, and more clingy towards her, and wouldn't let her do certain things. Over the next two years, Emma and Riley seemed to become that classic high school couple, the kind that is always breaking up and getting back together. Friends described really dramatic arguments between Emma and Riley, often over text message or Snapchat posts. Emma's mother said Riley would often comment on what her daughter was wearing, telling her what she should and shouldn't wear. Around this time, Emma's friend Lauren said things became intense between the couple. She said that Riley started waiting for Emma outside of the supermarket where she worked. Lauren said that he would just wait outside for hours. Emma's friends told her that they didn't like the way Riley was treating her, but her friend said that Emma just kind of brushed it off and that she liked to do her own thing. According to her friends, Riley became aggressive, sending her Snapchat messages that said, I hate you. I hate everything about you. You're the biggest bitch I've ever come in contact with. One message in particular alarmed Emma's mother. It read, You're dead to me. I'll check the obituary. Fuck you. Emma's parents ended up questioning Riley about these messages to Emma on Snapchat, and he said that he was just angry. But this is when Emma's mother started to notice more red flags. Emma's parents decided to ban Riley from their home and they took away Emma's phone to try and stop the teens from communicating, but it didn't work. Riley gave Emma an iPod touch and she texted him through Wi-Fi. For every nasty message Riley sent to Emma, there was also a quick apology. Emma, I'm so sorry for how I acted. I love you more than words can describe and so on and so on. Emma's parents advised her to break up with Riley several times. But like any typical teen, Emma didn't want to listen to her parents, and she thought she knew what was best for her. By autumn 2016, Emma and Riley were still dating. Riley had graduated and was an 18-year-old freshman at a nearby college, and Emma was in her junior year of high school but their tumultuous relationship had continued, despite her parents' attempts to keep them apart. Around Halloween that year, Emma's parents decided to ground her. 
not allowing her to leave the house except to go to school and cheerleading. They started monitoring everywhere she went and to their surprise, it seemed to work. Emma's father, Mark, said that she seemed to become her old self again. She would come out for her room and eat dinner with them and socialise with them. Emma had even texted her friend Keegan to say that Riley and her were done for good. Keegan said that Emma told her that she just came to a realisation that she deserved better. Her friends were delighted. This is what they had all been waiting for. They were all so excited to have their friend back. But Riley didn't seem to take the breakup well. While in his college dorm room, he swallowed a bunch of Vicodin pills and washed them down with alcohol in an attempt to commit suicide. His friends witnessed his mood swings. They described him as being off to the side, moping and saying things like, oh, I just feel so depressed, I want to hurt myself. Then, on Friday, November 18th, 2016, Emma was allowed to attend a gathering at a friend's house. Around 11.30pm that night, her friend and classmate, Zach Green, arrived at the house, where they were hanging out, and Emma pulled him aside. She told him she had been receiving strange text messages from a number she didn't recognise. She told Zach that she was getting these really weird text messages that told her to come outside alone if you didn't want to see a loved one get hurt. She showed Zach the messages. Go to your car with your keys, said one text message. Then, go alone, said another. And another said, I've got someone you love. If you don't comply, I will hurt them. Zach said Emma thought it was one of Riley's friends playing a prank on her. But that she texted back, threatening to call the police. The text messages, however, became more menacing. If you'd like to hear his crying and screams, give him a call, said one message. Zach said Emma started begging him for help and one of the texts said that they had dropped Riley outside. Zach and Emma went outside, and sure enough, they found a body lying down, in a ditch, near the house. Under the glow from the streetlight, he said, they could see it was Riley. They finally got over to him, and he was pulling on his head. He was looking very disorientated and confused. Emma asked him why he was here, and Riley replied, I don't know what happened. I don't know how I got here. I've been kidnapped. Someone dropped me off here. I don't know what's happening. Where am I? How'd I get here? He was holding his head as if he'd been hit on the side of his head. Zach said it was very weird. Emma was immediately uneasy, and Zach said she didn't really know what to think. Emma said, We broke up. Leave me alone. Seemingly dejected, Riley walked off down the street alone. He called his friend Noah Walton and told him he'd been kidnapped that night, but Noah didn't believe a word of it. In a later interview, Noah said that Riley sounded like he'd been crying or he sounded fatigued. He basically told him that some people knocked him out, took his car and threw him in a van and he didn't know where he was. He said Riley told him not to call 911 or to report the alleged incident. He was saying, no, 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 no cops, no cops. Additionally, none of Emma's friends contacted the authorities about the kidnapping that night. The following morning, Emma went home. But then she texted one of her friends, saying there was a stranger on her doorstep. Her text read, I'm home alone, and somebody, in all black, 
walked down my street and came to my door and rang the doorbell over and over again. I thought I was going to die. She also texted Riley saying, I hate you, but I need you right now. Riley texted her back, I'm coming, I'm speeding, just give me a minute. When Emma failed to meet up with her mother that morning as planned, Jill returned home and found her daughter and Riley in the front garden. Her first thought was, you're kidding me, he knows he's not allowed to be here. She walked over and asked him politely to leave, and he said, no, I'm here to help, I'm making sure Emma's okay. But Jill insisted, she said, you know you're not allowed to be here, you need to leave. And he did. Emma was visibly shaken, and thought it could have been a burglar, or maybe even a stalker. Jill, however, wasn't convinced. She said to Emma, don't you find it odd that Riley was involved, or appeared at both events? But Emma disagreed. She said, no mom, it wasn't him. Jill said it was clear that Riley was trying to get his attention, and he was going way overboard to do it. Emma's parents were worried, and on Sunday when she went to work, they followed her to work and followed her back home, just to make sure she was safe. By Sunday night, things seemed back to normal at the Walker household. Emma texted with her friend Keegan about a homework assignment, and she went to bed a little after midnight. A little after 6am, on Monday, November 21st, 2016, Jill went into her daughter's room, but she couldn't wake her up. I said her name, didn't hear anything, bumped her leg, didn't hear anything, and then I looked at her face and realised. I checked for a pulse, and I couldn't find anything. I don't remember a whole lot from that, but I know I called 911. I just tried to wake my daughter up for school. Jill Walker told the 911 operator, she's, she's 16. You said that she's non-responsive, the 911 operator asked. Yeah, Jill Walker said, sobbing. Police were sent to the Walker house. Knox County Sheriff's Deputy, Nikki Bulls, the lead forensic technician on the case, said the call originally came in as a possible suicide. When I first got there, I started my photographs on the outside of the residence. I walked in, photographed the interior of the residence, walked into the bedroom, photographed the bedroom. There was a hole in the wall. It appeared to be a bullet hole. At that point, I knew it was probably not a suicide, she said. When Knox County Sheriff's Lieutenant Alan Merritt arrived on the scene, he said he started looking at the outside of the house, but noticed a bullet hole in the wall that was about shoulder high. It was just a small bullet hole, you know, about the size of a ballpoint ink pen. He then located two shell casings outside of the home, so he knew the two shots had been fired. Walking around the home, he eventually found a second bullet hole on a different side of the house, at approximately the same height as the first. To an investigator, that tells me that the two shots were more than likely fired by the same suspect, he said. Emma Walker, a beautiful and vibrant cheerleader, had been killed by a gunshot wound to the head after two bullets had been fired into her bedroom from outside the family's single-story home. One bullet had hit her behind her left ear and the second had lodged into her pillow. (music) 
Jill said that once the detectives got there, they were asked to leave the residence. It turned their home into a crime scene, and they were wrapping tape around the house and walking around outside, but they still had no idea what had happened to her. When police started interviewing Emma's friends and family members that day, Merritt said the same name kept coming up over and over again. Everyone kept giving us the name Riley Gall. Because of their relationship, because of the way they had seen Riley treat her, and because of the way he talked to her, Riley took to social media to mourn Emma, posting a series of tweets and a long Facebook post. In one tweet, he wrote, Rest easy now, sweetheart. I love you forever and always. Madison Keevy, a reporter from ABC Knoxville, said that what stood out to her most from these tweets was the repetitive nature of him saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. On the surface, if this is the first thing you're seeing from Riley, you would think that this was an ex-boyfriend who just lost his first love. Emma's friends and family were devastated. The night after her death, they held a candlelight vigil at Central High and her fellow cheerleaders released balloons in her memory at that week's Bobcats football game. Riley's friends became concerned with his well-being, and following Emma's death, they told detectives a secret that Riley had shared with his friend Alex McCarthy the day after Riley's alleged kidnapping. He ended up telling me that he was so fearful for his life that he had stolen his grandfather's gun, and he showed it to me, said McCarthy. I was very worried. He reassured me over and over again that he was the farthest thing from suicidal. He was just so scared of these people that were out to get him. But Noah, another friend, also told detectives that Riley had asked him how to get fingerprints off a gun. He said he was asking for his roommate, Noah said in an interview. I told him, obviously not, and not to ever ask me anything like that again. Detectives brought Riley in for questioning on Monday about his whereabouts during the previous 72 hours. Riley said that he thought he had spent Friday at his friend Noah Walton's house. During his two-hour police interrogation, Riley didn't refer to Emma by her name. He only called her the girl. The girl, she texted me, Riley told detectives. Which girl? the detective asked. The one that passed away, Riley said. Detective James Hurst said when he first met Riley, he thought he might have been a grieving boyfriend. However, when they got into the interview room and sat down, he felt like maybe there was a dark side to Riley. He didn't have a whole lot of compassion or concern. Riley told detectives that he had been trying to speak with Emma that weekend, but she wouldn't engage with him. Riley said that on Sunday night, he used one of his friend's phones on campus to call her. He said their phone call didn't go very well, he said that Emma told him a bunch of cruel stuff and that she ended up blocking the number. Afterwards, Riley told detectives that he went over to his grandparents' house briefly and then drove back to his college. Once there, Riley said he broke down and cried for two to three hours in his car over breaking up with Emma. When he was describing this in the interrogation room, Merritt said Riley was emotionless. Merritt said his interview was probably one of the most disconnected. It seemed almost rehearsed and deliberate. At this point, detectives said they knew from Alex McCarthy that Riley had shown his friend his grandfather's gun. Riley's grandfather, 
who had kept the gun in his car, had reported the 9mm handgun missing prior to Riley being questioned. Detectives asked Riley about the gun, but he told them he didn't know where it was. He denied showing it to Alex, and also denied asking Noah about removing fingerprints from a gun. Then, detectives asked to see his phone, and Riley asked them if he was a suspect. The detectives asked, should you be? But Riley continued to deny to have anything to do with Emma's death. When Riley left the sheriff's office, Alex said he started getting messages from him, asking why he had told police about the gun. In text messages, Riley asked his friends not to speak to the police anymore. Noah said that he was on edge. Thinking Riley was lying to the authorities, Noah and Alex then collaborated with the police to help them to lay a trap. On Tuesday night, just one day after Emma's murder, detectives wired the two teens up with microphones and a transmitter where the police could listen in and a video camera hidden in a key fob and they planned out a sting operation to recover the potential murder weapon. Undercover, Noah and Alex met up with Riley. Little did Riley know, the police were monitoring this meeting. Noah and Alex agreed to help Riley get rid of the murder weapon. Here is a clip that was recorded during their meeting. Sorry about you, my dog. I can't, I really, I want to be so upset and I can't because I'm not worried about getting arrested and putting away from murder that I didn't commit. Never in my life would I kill someone that I love that much. Love you, bro. It sucks you gotta deal with all this man. Riley clearly had no clue about the sting. He had faith in his friends. I'm trusting you guys, like with my life because I mean this is 70 years in jail if I get convicted of something I didn't do. Why can't you just give me a gun? Just it just needs to be gone for whatever reason just it just needs to be gone. You guys don't have to come with me if you don't want to. I mean I got your back man. If it's in the Tennessee River they will never find it. The three boys headed out and their first stop to get the gun was at Riley's stepfather's house where he had stashed it. After getting the gun the boys headed to a fast food restaurant to get something to eat, and during this whole time, they were being followed by undercover police. After eating, they head down to the Tennessee River. Riley gets out of the car and puts on gloves. He carefully removes the gun, which he had carefully placed in a bin bag. Noah and Riley, who were in a group chat with the police, tell them it's a good time to move in. The operation was a success, and Riley was arrested. In addition to the gun, Police recover what they believe to be a treasure trove of evidence, including gloves and black clothing, which authorities say point to Riley also being the man dressed in black, who was mysteriously at the walker's door the Saturday morning before Emma was killed. At his trial in May 2018, Riley's defense attorney argued in court they had never meant to kill Emma, but had fired the gun to try and scare her and get her attention. Wesley Stone, Riley's attorney, said Riley denies being the mysterious man in black. After five hours of deliberation, jurors found Riley, now 19, guilty of first-degree murder, as well as stalking, theft, reckless endangerment, and being in possession of a firearm during a dangerous felony. In the state of Tennessee, 
a first-degree murder conviction carries an automatic life sentence. At his sentencing hearing, Riley, who did not speak during his trial, apologised to the Walkers for killing their daughter, but stuck by his defence that it was an accidental shooting. I'm sorry I took Emma away from you, that I robbed you of the experience of watching your daughter grow up, Riley said in court. What I can do is tell the truth about that night. I wanted to scare her. I never meant to take Emma's life. Again, I'm sorry. With justice served for Emma's death, Emma's mother, Jill, hopes what happened to her daughter can also serve as a warning to others who may be in tumultuous relationships. If your boyfriend or girlfriend is telling you where you can go, what you can wear, who you should hang out with or who to talk to, it's not okay, she said. I think when they become quiet and withdrawn, it's a big sign too. It's not always bruises, it's emotional and it's controlling. Since her death, Emma's family has tried to keep her legacy alive. Her mother Jill said that she loved animals and wanted to be a NICU nurse. So the family has since gotten a dog park and a NICU patient room at East Tennessee Children's Hospital named after her. It's all things that are a part of Emma and all mean something, Jill said. She added that she also hopes people remember her by being kind to others. And that brings us to the end of tonight's case. I first heard about this case on the YouTube channel Kendall Ray and I was shocked, creeped out, angry, saddened. It's such an awful case and such a waste of a promising life. I'm happy that Riley is going to rot the rest of his natural life in jail. I believe the life sentence expires around him being around the age of 70 but I do believe he will die in prison. I think something we can learn from this case is how his friends handled it. Noah and Alex played a massive role in Riley getting arrested and being able to be convicted. It seems like they really stuck to their morals and they knew that something wasn't right and that Riley was lying to them. And by taking their concerns to the police and taking whatever Riley had told them, they really helped kind of close the whole case. If you have any thoughts about the case, I'd love to hear them. You can always get in contact with me through Instagram. It's just something.dark.podcast. If you have any requests for upcoming episodes, you can let me know on Instagram too. Or if you're watching on YouTube, feel free to leave it in the comments. But that is it for tonight's case. Thank you for listening and I'll talk to you next week.